Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Julie Henry Douglas. Really? Mm -hmm. That's really your middle name? No. But if I could choose a a guy's name, I think it would be Henry. Henry? Good, solid Mm -hmm. name to me. Henry. I guess, yeah. It's kind of ordinary, but that's that's the thing about names. So often they're ordinary, and then what happens when they're a little different? Henry James, and it's all about associations, right? Oh, Henry James, that is good. That is good. Yeah, there are so many associations with names. There's family history. Names are both so simple and too simple, and then just overly complicated the more you look at it. And could they possibly be so freighted with meaning that they come to actually form who we are? Yeah, that's the thing. The name that you're given, is is the name the secret ruler of your life? Did that de- determine everything in your life from the cradle to the grave, all because your uh, your your mother or father decided to name you, say, um, say Sue? I was about to say, Johnny Cash had an idea about this long before uh, researchers started to say, what are the cognitive effects of naming children? Yeah, or rather, Shel Silverstein did. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he wrote the lyrics to that song. Or rather, that was his poem that became the Johnny Cash song. I did not know that. That makes it even better. Shall I? Go for it, yeah. My daughter left home when I was three, and he didn't leave much to Ma and me. Just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. Now, I don't blame him because he run and hid. But the meanest thing he, he ever did was before he left, he went and named Miss Sue. And then, of course, the, the song goes on and on to, to detail his life as a boy named Sue. It's a rough life. It's a hard life. But eventually, he confronts his father. He says, well, yeah, he's pretty much like, why did you do that? And his dad's like, well, I, I know it's a rough life, and I, I thought you had to be tough. So, of course, I named you Sue so that you'd have like a backbone. Yeah. And that's how much I love you, because I knew I wasn't going to be there. Yeah, I, he's saying I essentially put a target on your head, because I knew that either everyone around you would destroy you, or and and what did you know? As Nietzsche says, what doesn't destroy me makes me stronger. So um, that was the whole uh, the whole idea here. Yeah, that's what Shel Silverstein was going for. A little Nietzsche. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can't help but I mean, we've both been through the naming process for a child at this point. Yeah. Uh, did you have any names that you uh, you ended up uh, rejecting? Um. Well, yeah, but but obviously I liked them. They were on my list. Of, yeah. You know, but um. But my grandmother used to, to ask every day, like, what are you going to name her? What are you going to name her? And I would just come up with ridiculous names to annoy her. Yeah. Garlic sorbet. Ooh, that's a good one. Toadstool ivory. Nice. Uh, a period person. <laughs> a person. You? Oh, yeah. I had a short list. Uh, Sagan. That okay. Was, that was a strong contender. <laughs> Atreyu. Um, Zivon. Shoehorn. Qantas. Mm-hmm. Nyar Lefetep, uh, Yog Sothoth, uh, but ended up just going with <laughs> Sebastian instead. Which is great. I love that name. Um, but yeah, this is, this becomes a really important thing, this naming of the child. And in fact, it's so important that, you know, people publish tons of books about it, like mm-hmm. name giving advice. And there was even a 2010 British study of 3,000 parents that revealed that one in five parents regret the name that they chose for their child. So it would make sense that a parenting website like, I don't know, Baby Center would be so um, well visited by parents to see what are the most popular names for boys and girls. But also they put out information like, what are the weirdest names? And in 2013, they had some real humdingers. Yes. Um, 
there were at least three baby boys named Cheese. Yes. Which which is nice. Uh, I believe there was a character on the wire named Cheese. Yeah, there was. I have to point out at this point there was also a child named Danish, and I was really hoping that <laughs> like were siblings? She, yeah that they were twins like Cheese and Danish, but I don't think that was the case. Oh, little Cheese. Uh, and then some of the other names, uh, Panda. Yeah. Rocket. Which is a good, you know, you want an explosive child that's just going to get out there in the world. I have a rocket in my neighborhood. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. And when in doubt, uh, you know, in terms of coming up with a a name for your child, just name them after a primordial (laughs) sea monster that, uh, that, that rise in the, the prehistoric darkness Uh and, uh, and rivals the might of an ancient Hebrew deity. Uh, Just name your kid Leviathan, which somebody did. I mean, there's there's no weight there. There's 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 nothing there that would make that child feel sort of bogged down to fulfill his or her destiny. Um, there's also Drago and Blip. So all this kind of whirly gig naming here made us wonder how does this play out in something called nominative determinism? Yeah, this is basically the idea that we're talking about here, except. With science behind it, uh, the idea that a fancy name, yeah, a name, the name that we are given determines who we are, how we bes- behave, and how the world's going to treat us, how the world's going to perceive us. That uh, it, it really gets down into the complexity of language, right? We we end up acquiring language, building language, using language as an operating system for the human brain and the mm-hmm. system that we base all of our culture on. And uh, the, what I was really struck with in researching this topic is that. Um, is that nominative determinism is kind of a, it's almost like a mistake in the programming or a side effect of the programming that the name that you give uh, an individual carries a lot of obvious weight. Mm-hmm. You know, if you name your, your kid uh, after a mythological hero, you're obviously drawing upon that. You can call your kid Thor. There's a certain Thorness. Um, that you're, you're dragging in there. But then there's a lot of stuff that's happening at a subconscious level. It's just, uh, you know, tendrils reaching out through the, the canvas of language. I see what you mean. Like the symbol wasn't necessarily meant to be internalized, mm-hmm. but it's so easy for our brains to make that little walk over there. And we talked about this kind of uh, in the last episode about how if you have a limb that's next to your limb mm-hmm. and you begin to see it from your first person perspective, then you sort of adopt that limb as your own. All of a sudden you have three limbs um, and we won't go into that. But the point is, is that it's really easy to sort of take these things on as yourself. And that is at the heart of nominative determinism. And I wanted to read this little bit from a mental philosophy article on the topic. Uh, quote, Dr. Rich Dick Chop is an Austin... <laughs> Urologist who is known for performing vasectomies, really. Other doctors at the same urology clinic include Dr. Hardiman and Dr. Wang. Oh. Is this coincidence? Probably. Um, but there may be something there. That's, well, that's why we're discussing it, obviously. Well, in my experience, I, uh, my, my father was a dentist, so I've always, from a very little kid, I would always notice the, the signs for dentist offices mm-hmm. anywhere we went. And even then, I remember thinking, there are a lot of dentists who have the last name Payne, P-A-Y-N-E, then yeah. why, like, wouldn't you want to change that? Do you really want to be Dr. Payne when people go to get their <laughs> teeth worked on? And I did a quick uh, Google search before we, we came to the podcast chamber, and again, just page after page of, of, of dentists named Payne. And it, it makes you think, again, are they are they drawn to dentistry somehow, subconsciously, because of that name? or And then why maybe not change it 
if you're going to make a go at a business because you wouldn't you wouldn't hesitate to change the name of a business if uh if the business name were somehow a counterpoint to what you're trying to the experience that you're trying to sell to the customer so uh so it seems like you would you would want to do that with your your professional name as well i don't know i'm about to tell you something that i think might end up in an awkward silence okay moment uh my gastroenterologist his name is dr sunshine <laughs> okay and i'm not kidding wow yeah. So think on that a moment and then let's sort of switch gears here back to a boy named Sue, because apparently if you're a boy named Ashley mm-hmm. or Shannon, um, there are some things that will be meted out to you uh, because of having that name. In fact, research psychologist David Figlio of Northwestern University in Illinois looked at millions of birth certificates and then he broke them down by phonemics and behavior. And he found a bunch of different things, not just about Ashley and Shannon. Um, but in terms of those names, he did find that the boys with names traditionally given to girls are more likely to misbehave than their counterparts with masculine names. Which is interesting because it lines up with the song, right? Mm-hmm. The boy named Sue winds up getting in a lot of fights, has a, an embattled life that makes him tougher. Uh, they found that up into a certain age, I think it was uh, like age six. I think sixth grade. Sixth grade, rather. Uh, up into a certain point, it didn't really make any difference. Mm-hmm. But then uh, sixth grade hits, and and, so, and that's when the embattlement re- begins to really take hold. Suddenly, these uh, these male individuals with feminine names are misbehaving and acting out all the time. Yeah, gender norms are in full force, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have kids who are, are really trying to reinforce that idea and to make things worse uh, and i think this will be obvious if there happened to be a girl with the name of shannon or ashley in the same class as that boy Uh, it just intensifies it exactly because there you have confirmation that you have a a feminine name because that kid is right there with it now as a side note i wonder to what extent this uh phenomenon might disappear as hopefully culture becomes increasingly uh sensitive to the, the idea of gender and that gender is not an issue of one fortress and another fortress? Or does that even trickle down to kids? Are kids always going to be boys versus girls? I think it takes a while because mm-hmm. I, I try with my own daughter to try to live in a not a gender-free world, but to not make that as, as the, the starting point for, for conversations or decisions. Mm-hmm. But I do see her teachers maybe unconsciously putting that dynamic in play hmm. and really talking a lot about boys and girls and the the girls are lovely and the boys are handsome and the girls are well behaved and that so on and so forth sugar and spice and everything nice exactly yeah, yeah. and into that point um i did want to point out that david figlio found that girls with names that are relatively feminine in high school choose advanced coursework in humanities and less feminine names um, that are given to girls, those girls are more likely to choose math and science courses. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So here's an idea, and one that I am really having trouble buying. <laughs> the idea that a name could not only uh, determine how the society will view you and how you view your own place in society, but could a name actually make you more prone to disease or make you more unhealthy? Hmm. I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the Brady Bunch study. The Bra- did they call it the Brady Bunch? I don't think they call it the Brady Bunch study. But it was a study about people with a surname of Brady. This is in Dublin, right? Mm-hmm. Researchers in Dublin, they wanted to discover whether or not a person's name might influence their health. 
And so they looked at whether people with a surname Brady had a higher incidence of bradycardia. That is a slow heart which, rate. Which, how did they get funding for this? This is, just sounds insane to me where someone, and as we'll see, the research is really fast. I mean, the, the findings yeah. are really fascinating. But who said, I wonder if people with the name Brady are more likely to suffer from bradycardia? Like, um, it's almost as, to propose that question, you have to feel like the answer might be yes. Uh, yeah, I also kind of wondered to what degree were people familiar with the term bradycardia mm-hmm. and, and knew about it and maybe internalized it? Because that's the idea, right? Yeah, I was not familiar with the term, so it didn't play into my view of uh, the Brady Bunch. Yeah, researchers used data from a hospital database and the percentage of the population of the surname Brady, of course. And uh, they determined through use of online telephone listings in Dublin between 2007 and 2013 that they were... Something like 579 Bradys listed in total and 1,012 pacemakers fitted during this time. Hmm. And the median age of the patients, uh, 77 years old, and the proportion of pacemaker recipients among Bradys, 1.38% was significantly higher than among non-Bradys, 0.61%. Okay. So there's something there. It's yeah. not huge. I mean, we're not saying, well, wow, huge. This this completely says that this is going on. Right. It's like a number of the things that we're talking about here, a number of the examples, rather. On an individual basis, you're just looking around at the people you know, It there's a good chance it's not going to line up. But when you look at larger population mm-hmm. uh, groups and larger sample groups, that's where you begin to see these interesting statistics to uh, you know emerging. Yeah, and they did say in the study, hey, there are limitations to this. We don't know the the um, patient's background. We don't know mm-hmm. if they were related and they had genetic predispositions, and this could have skewed results. We also don't know whether or not because this is a city center for um, this procedure that drew more. Brady's, and so that kind of skewed the results as well. So, um, you know, it's just kind of an interesting thing that's put out there. You know, you, you begin to wonder, should I name my, you know, just to be on the safe side, I'll just go ahead and name my kid Methuselah, or, um, you, you know, just to in- ensure that they have a long life. But then am I tempting fate? What happens when a kid named Methuselah <laughs> dies at age 50? Then you're going to feel really uh, like, oh, I, I, I did that by giving him this name and trying to force the universe to make them live a really long time. I think it's okay. I think that sometimes kids will buck against their names. Mm-hmm. And um, this was actually in one of the articles that we read. Um, I'll have to look at it in a moment and bring up the title. But the, the article was saying that there was a father who named his kid Loser Lane. And then, <laughs> On purpose? Or was this one of those incidents where they thought it would be pronounced differently? Well... You decide after I tell you the next kid's name. Okay. Winner Lane. Okay. Loser ends up to be like an upstanding citizen. I don't know if he's a cop or something, but I mean, he's done well for himself. Mm -hmm. Winner turns out to be like in the pokey all the time. Huh. Uh, He's crime ridden. What kind of father was this? I'm just imagining, I mean, it's it's like a B.F. Skinner type of ploy here. Well, did you hear about the sociologist who wrote Parentology? He named his children, their first names... Uh, his daughter is E. Okay. And then his other son, or his son is Yo. And then beyond like their first names, they have a million other names tacked onto it. And then they are not of Asian descent, but he decided to throw in some Asian names in there just to kind of throw off the paradigm, he mm-hmm. says, of immigrants taking on um, that country's name. 
Interesting. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mess like, with the paradigm there. Um, anyway, they, there was an interview with his kids, and his kids were like, yeah, we're fine with it. But, hmm. yeah, sometimes there are sociologists who unleash some experiments at home. Yeah. Now, of course, as we'll, this is, we'll discuss this some more as well, but, of course, any name you give somebody does not exist in a vacuum. There are plenty of other factors at play. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, this will come directly into play. All right, we're back. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Freakonomics, because this is a book, if you're not familiar with it, that sort of takes this um, socioeconomic view of things that we don't normally apply that sort of lens to and tries to figure out if there's some sort of algorithm uh, that is driving our behavior and the things that we do. And, of course, naming came up in Freakonomics. Um, Steve Levitt, the author of Freakonomics, and Harvard economist Roland G. Fryer, they wanted to see if the trend of black parents naming their children distinctly non-white names, they wanted to see if this had an impact on those kids later on socially and economically. Yeah, so what Fryer did is he looked at birth certificate information for every child born in California since 1961. And, uh, and what he found, uh, initially matches up pretty well with, with, I think, everyone's experience of, of names. Uh, up until the early 70s, there was a more overlap in white-black names. Mm-hmm. But then by 1980, you see an explosion of distinctly black names. Uh, and some of the fuel for this uh, you can find in the black power movement uh, in, in the, the push to accentuate uh, African culture and African roots. And uh, and so you see this uh, this divide. So suddenly you see uh, more distinctly black names, mm-hmm. increasing number of distinctly black names in the black community. So Fryer found that the the data showed that on average a person with a distinctly black name uh, had a worse life outcome than an individual with a more common name. Now it's important to note, and uh, the, the authors of Freakonomic note that it's not the fault of their names. Okay, it has to do with the parents who select a particular sort of name. So. Uh, again, like I said earlier, names don't exist in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Names are coming from parents. And so you see trends where certain names are more likely to be bestowed by members of various uh, levels of the socioeconomic scale. And, and, it, and this, this is, uh, and the, the data that they discuss in Freakonomics concerns more than just uh, the white-black divide, but also uh, the economic divide, mm-hmm. what names are more common among lower-income Households versus higher income households. So we already know that there are unconscious associations. There's there's all sorts of biases mm-hmm. here. Yeah, not not to all. I mean, not to count out just overt bias and racism. Exactly. As well. Yeah. So this is really interesting. Um, Latanya Russell, a Harvard professor of government and technology, she published a study about search results in Google related to name searches and racial profiling in in the the adworks for Google huh. and she did this after a search for her name served up an ad next to her name with find an arrest record mm. and it was actually a colleague of hers um who was not black who they were searching something about some of the work that they were doing right. and in the search they were of course looking for their names to see how that would come up and he was the first person to tag like oh that's weird Mine doesn't come up with this arrest record ad over here, but yours does. And so he started to do a couple of different searches and came up with the idea of, I think it's kind of tied to black sounding names. And she was appalled. She said, no, 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 no. I'm a scientist here. I'm going to conduct a formal mm-hmm. um, study of this and I'm going to prove you wrong. 
because she didn't want to believe that that was actually like racial profiling was happening in the ad works. And she found that a black identified name was 25% more likely than a white identified name to get an ad suggestive of an arrest record. Which is troublesome because yeah. you see that and it does have this sort of association of like, well, perhaps this person does have an arrest record. Right. And then that's just more fire to just sort of the subliminal messaging that's coming at you through your, your, your search engine, through one of the ways that you're interacting with the world. And so at least subliminally, your search engine is saying, hey, you're the type of person who might be arrested. And then you're going to absorb that information and have to deal with it. And as David Eagleman might say, the problem with this is that all of this is happening under the cover of unconscious, right? Your unconscious is meeting all of this out and serving it up to your conscious as this idea, and you don't even know what's going on. And he calls this implicit bias. This implicit bias is is within us. We're not aware of it. It's it's acting um, sort of independently to our consciousness. And he said that this is borne out in reaction times and hesitations during computer models that allow us to like or dislike images or words to show how we're driven by our unconscious. And he gives a couple of, of examples of this, but the one that I like best is um, this one that begins with a screen that has like and dislike at the top okay. of the screen. And then in the middle, there is a name that appears. So he says, like, you could have the name of a religion appearing in the middle. And he said, what's interesting about this is not just the speed of the participants selecting like or dislike, but that this program actually tracks the trajectory of of the mouse movements, and it can show the drift. Oh. So it shows, like, maybe you're going toward no and then you correct yourself and go to, um, or not no, maybe you're going toward dislike and then you correct yourself and go toward like. Um, and he's saying that that is showing that you're, you're doing the more socially appropriate response. Your mm-hmm. conscious is catching up to your unconscious and correcting it. So he's saying that even people with certainty about their attitudes and beliefs, um, they can find themselves surprised and sometimes appalled by what's lurking within their brains that they're not even aware of. Huh. So it's it's like the, the gut reaction versus the actual conscious thought reaction, sort of. Uh, if someone were to, say, offer someone a beer for lunch at work, their gut instinct might be might be to say, yes, I would like a beer. And then their, their conscious reaction might be, no, I don't drink beer at work or no, I don't drink beer at all. Why would I even entertain the idea? But for that split second, you do. Yeah, your hand might start to reach out. And then yeah. you're like, oh, no, 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 thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that gets us into this idea of implicit association, because that's where we get into this idea of unconscious commonality. So, you know, here's a good example that I think we've talked about before. If your name is Dennis or mm-hmm. Denise, there's some data out there, and Eagleman talks about this in his book, that you perhaps could become a dentist, you're internalizing this association between the way that your your name sounds in this profession. Yeah, people, Denise or Dennis, more are disproportionately more likely to become dentist. Laura, Lawrence, more likely to become a lawyer. George or Georgiana, uh, more likely to become a geologist. Uh, and it's it's interesting. My uh, my birth name is of course Podrick, so that and that is why I became a podcaster, I guess. Uh, ha, seen, yeah. ha, ha, very nice. Um, I You know what? That may show up in 2020. It's yeah. like one of the most popular baby names. Really? Just because of uh, Game of Thrones? No, I was thinking because of the profession. 
podcast. Oh yeah, because everybody want, will be a everybody podcaster wants their kid to be a podcaster because that's where the money uh, is. That's right. Yeah. Yep. All right. So another layer of this is something called implicit ego. And so that's that, not just that unconscious connection that you have, like, oh, someone is like me or that's like me, but actually feeling like, you know, like your ego is bound up in this idea of that thing or that person. And we do a lot of this. We've talked about this before. When we attach our ego to something, it might be a sports team mm-hmm. or, or it might just be, uh, it might be an individual. It might be a cup of tea. All right, so here's a nice example. Eagleman says that when students read an essay by Rasputin, in this example, uh, they also read a bit of biographical detail about Rasputin, including his birthday, which, by the way, was manipulated in the text to be the same as the readers. Yeah. So when they read that and that that little data bit, that student gave Rasputin a more generous rating. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's just the, just the, the mere insertion of that date give, it gives you the subconscious link with this individual. And so you feel like a, a little more than usual, like Grigory Rasputin is, uh, is like you. He's, he's one of me. I, I, uh, I, I agree with everything he did to some extent. Yeah. And then on another level, it's like, yeah, go January 7th. Yeah. A team January 7th. All of us who were born under there, you're, you're a winner. Oh man, I actually experience this quite a lot when I'm taking the train to work because I take the, the westbound train and then I take the northbound train. And when I'm waiting on the northbound train, there are two northbound trains. Mm-hmm. One is the Doraville train, one is the North Springs. Mm-hmm. Only the North Springs train actually will get me all the way to work. And so I'll find myself uh, standing there, the Doraville train arrives, the wrong train arrives, and people are getting on board, and I'll actually think to myself, oh, those Doraville train people, they're the worst. I'm just <laughs> judging on them, you know, hardcore, even though there's, yeah. there's like, why, and then I'll ask myself, why am I doing that? Why am I attaching my ego to the, to the North Springs train and judging everyone who rides the Doraville train? Star-bellied snitches, my yeah, friend. Exactly. Dr. Seuss shows up again in the podcast. So, you know, you also have priming going on, too. Mm-hmm. Some of it's unconscious, some of it's not so unconscious. I was thinking about Allison Laddermilk because she shared with me that she, this is actually implicit ego and priming. She shared with me that she buys almond milk because she really enjoys the layout, the graphic layout of almond milk. And it also kind of reminds her of her name, Allison Laddermilk, almond milk. Interesting. That was because this is another uh, study that David Eakman brings up where they, uh, they had, um, Consumers, test subjects, um, consider different brands of fictional teas, mm-hmm. and they were more likely to go with the fictional tea that contained the first three letters of their first name. So, I mean, this is why, of course, I like uh, Rabina tea and you like Juilliard tea. Yes, I love Juilliard tea. Yeah. Because, is that a real tea? No, I don't think they're, all, they're real teas. But, but, but the idea is that we would be drawn to those brands, mm-hmm. in theory, because they contain bits of our name and, in a sense, are a bit of us. Gosh, don't you just feel like such a simpleton sometimes? Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that gives you, like sometimes you're like, ah, glorious being in the universe, taking in all the wonderments of life. And then sometimes you're like, gosh, we're just such simpletons, just, you know, being manipulated left and right, well, not be- even knowing it. Well, because so much of our experience of the world and understanding of it in our culture is based in language. And again, this kind of, these kind of free associations, it's, it's kind of a, a flaw in the system or just kind of a, a, a side effect of this uh, system being in place. Well, I will tell you, um, having done the research on this, I have decided that if I do have another child, mm-hmm. I know the exact perfect name 
to give that child. Oh, let's hear it. Okay. Nominative determinism. Okay. Or ND. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or your NOMD. NOMD. Yeah. NOMD. That's a pretty good one. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, don't you think like that they'd have to explain that name over and over again and they'd be super aware of everything they did and everything that they perceived mm-hmm. and they would just be really over analytical and, and perhaps even in a fetal position as a result. And and that's then, a bad and idea. And just change it eventually too. Because didn't uh, Moon uh, Unit Zappa? Did she change it? I, I, seems like I thought she might have changed it. Or maybe name. she just goes by Moon. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I feel like if you're a Zappa kid, you just roll with it. Probably. But I have heard tales of, of children with uh, sort of hippie dream child names changing them to more uh, socially normal, acceptable names. Because, again, that comes back to just the whole idea of the name is so weird because, like, I have a really normal name, Robert Lamb. There's nothing phenomenal about it except that the last name inspires the image of an animal and forces children to make buying noises at you throughout school. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's a normal name, so I've never really felt a particular attachment to it. I've never hated it, but I'm just kind of like, oh, I guess I'm Robert Lamb. But So it made me want to give my son a name that really stood out and was amazing, But then, as we've discussed here, that's not necessarily the way to go. Well, and that's what some of this, uh, some of the articles that we read sort of touched on. When you look at a name, essentially it is, uh, it is sort of all the hopes and fears that a parent puts into that name. Yeah. For, for the child. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, people would name their children, uh, more normal names if they really thought that it was important that you assimilate to society. Or a unique name if they really thought that individualism was very important. So you can kind of see all of that at play, and it's fascinating. Yeah, and I guess that's where middle names are nice. You can throw a little something in there so that they can eventually choose. Do they want to go by the first name? Do they want to go by the middle name? Do they want to go with initials? Yeah. Give them some, this is my take on the matter anyway, give them some options so that they can change their identity around in a way that that suits their needs at the time. Because inevitably, children are going to go through periods where they're going to really want to assimilate, where assimilation Mm -hmm. is part of their genetic mission to blend in so that they can actually survive long enough to breed. Uh, But then on the other hand, they're going to reach a point inevitably or hopefully uh, inevitably where they'll want to stand out, where they'll want to be their own person and, and be unique all right, so there you go. A little, uh, little insight into the the naming process. All of you have names, and if and if you don't have a name, actually, that's even more uh, amazing. Is that even possible? Can you no, not name? I don't think so. Like to name somebody, just a blank, you know, just an absence of name, and that becomes the name. Whoa! And how emotionally saddled would you be with the <laughs> absence of a being of a name of a sound? Right? Yeah. God, I was about to rap there with a being with a name with a sound. <laughs> But but it, but in bring a, it round. <laughs> so all of you have names. Uh, a number of you have have engaged in the naming process. So we'd love to hear from everyone. How have you grown up with your name? How has it affected your outcome in life? What kind of thought did you put into naming your child? If you uh, happen to, to to have one of those, uh, let us know. We would love to hear from you. You can find us in all the normal places. Uh, the mothership is of course stuff to blow your mind That is the place to go for your stuff to blow your mind fix. You will find. All of the podcast episodes, you will find uh, over a thousand blog posts and counting. You will find videos. You will find links out to our social media accounts, such as Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, our YouTube account, Mind Stuff Show. And hey, if you have name regret and you want to share with us the name you wish you had been given, you can do that. Um, you can share any other stories you have with us about names. So send us an email at below the mind at discovery.com. 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 